On this week's Patriot Nation podcast, we have John Chapman on to do a full breakdown of the NFL draft. Obviously, we break down all the Patriots picks, but we also talk about who had the best draft and who had some really kind of questionable picks. Uh, so it's a really interesting conversation. You don't want to miss it. Buckle up and cue the music. Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands. He has it. Wilson, quick throw. And it's I know it's crazy. I mean, time flies, man. I mean, I remember, you know, we were just kind of digging for stuff to talk about. Not, not, not digging, but you know, it's a tough, it's tough doing them in the off season. It really is. And uh, you know, finally we had the draft, and now we got o- or o- no training camp. OTAs are gone, so um, yep. you know, uh, they got rookie camp coming up, which will be cool. But yeah, training camps. I mean, we'll blanket. It, it'll be there. I mean, we're gonna blanket. It, it's gonna be July fourth. So I mean, I then training camps are right there. So. But hey, uh-huh. let's talk about your little Tuesday, my man. <laughs> little little spotlight, uh, Felger and Maz all over the ringer. You you tell us, man. Look at you. I'm proud of you. Bro, it was a day. It was it was a day. So I get a text. I, I I'm a teacher, so I'm I'm teaching. I get a text from my dad, and he's like, "Hey, uh, check who's on NBC Sports Boston." I was like, "What?" So Darren Hartwell wrote an interesting article about the Jimmy G trade and uh, linked my article and um Mike Hurley's article as well uh kind of chronicling what you know what happened there what that was all about so I was like holy crap so then I email the Pat's pulpit staff and I'm like hey guys I'm like I you know I got on I got mentioned on NBC Sports Boston I'm like this is pretty cool this and that and uh Rich Hill responds back and he's like hey it's great you were on the ringer this morning too I was like what Kevin Clark wrote an article about NFL draft takeaways you know six kind of big picture takeaways and interestingly enough, Jeff Howe had written an article uh, about the Jimmy G trade as well, which I didn't read because I don't I don't have a subscription to The Athletic, but he had written one and he linked to uh, that article. And then he linked to an article that I wrote that was a different article about Belichick trading uh, during draft day. So I was on NBC Sports and then I was in The Ringer and I was like, holy crap, what a day, dude. Then 2 o'clock or 2.15, I get a call from my buddy and I had some students after school, so I just ignored it. I'm walking out and I listen to the voicemail and he's like, Hey, uh, you just got mentioned on Felger and Maz. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so they pulled the uh, Hartwell's article and they were reading off it. And it says, you know, hat tip to Pat's pulpit, Pat Lane. Like, Oh God, here we go. Pat's fans.com. You know, and they're dumping all over uh, Pat's pulpit, of course, because you know, why wouldn't they, why wouldn't they? Uh, and so I was like, Oh my goodness. So then I called in, they let me on the show right away. They're like, Hey, this is, you know, Pat Lane. Let's tell the <laughs> listeners too. I was literally sitting there. I just got back from class 
Yep. And I remember them saying, there's an article on Pat's Pulpit by Pat Lane. And then I, you know, I, I started listening and then you come on and I'm like, holy shit, you're on, you're on Felger. I took a video and sent it to you. Obviously I didn't save it. I was like, so just sitting there, I wouldn't have caught it, but I, I just caught yeah. it on the back of my ear and I was like, oh my God. And then, you know, you kind of filled me in on the back, backstory, but I had literally turned my TV on like 10 minutes before that and caught that. It was so cool. Right. No, it was, uh, it was awesome. It just, it, it worked out so well. And, uh, and anytime it was you really, get recognized really cool. by then you're doing something right. So be proud 100%. of yourself, my man. Absolutely. And you know, of course, then you re you go back and you listen to the, to the interview again. And I was like, Oh, I missed like four things I wanted to say. So I am going to call in again today with today's Friday for, well, it's really Thursday night, but you know, if you guys listen on Friday, I'm going to call in again. So if it's before two, if you listen before two, make sure you tune into Felger Maz. Hopefully I'll be able to get on and, uh, you know, kind of roast him a little bit. Maz is kind of all over me about why I wrote the article about Jimmy G and stuff, which meanwhile, I wrote an article. The article that I mentioned in the ringer was the article about Belichick's draft day trades. And so I do want to kind of go back and forth with them a little bit on those. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll see if they take my call again, but uh, you know, but it, was, it was, it was pretty cool, man. Uh, you know, just, and it, the fact that it all happened in one day, I mean, like was, was just ridiculous. And, and you know, I mean, um, uh, Matt Doloff, who was on our show, actually our first episode, uh, had one of my tweets on one of his articles, which I thought was so cool. Um, and then that's really the only time I've really been noticed by a, you know, a, a bigger place like that. And for to have NBC Sports Boston, The Ringer, and Felger Maz happen all on the same day was just was insane. <laughs> so it was it was one hell of a day, and I was like, oh my god, you know. Of course, everyone's like. Oh, when you make it, you know, let me know. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that, that's going to happen. But you never, but you never know, I suppose. But I was like, okay, sure, fine. Hey, like I um, said, man, you get recognized by then. Cool. You're doing something right, and and uh, you know, shout out to the pulpit making moves. I mean, I I, I actually Ooh. found a screenshot in my fold, um, in my fold, my my in my phone, from when we when I joined pulpit. So right around the time you did, you joined a little bit after. I think it had yeah. like nine thousand, ten thousand followers. It's up to sixteen. So. The word's getting out there. If you're not reading, you're not jumping on, jump on now because it's, it's a great group of guys. I'm going to plug the site right now. It's, you know, we all work hard. Mm-hmm. We all got different roles. And, you know, we're on the come up, as we say. But let's get into, right. let's get well, into some uh, – let's get into – oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no I was just going to say, to, to piggyback off what you say, I mean, for sure, it's a lot of great writers. And I think the fan interaction is really the biggest thing for us. And, you know, for other Pats fans to get on and, you know, I love the comment section because – it's not a regular comment section. Usually the comment section is a dumpster fire with idiots and morons and, you know, tweeting, you know, saying terrible stuff and you suck. And the comment section on Pat's pulpit is fantastic. And a lot of times there's, you know, other conversations going on inside the, the comment section between three or four different people. And they're maybe, you know, going off a, a point that was in the article and they're talking more about it and they're having these in, in, interesting conversations. And then, you know, you kind of jump, sometimes, you know, you, you feel compelled to jump in and, and, you know, you kind of join in them. And, and I really think, you know, the, the, the readership is huge and the people that are there reading it and, and consuming it. And again, contributing as well is just, is awesome. And that's what makes it so cool. I think. And look, I mean, you guys were there for the trade and we appreciate you guys. I mean, we went from, we usually get somewhere between 60 and 100, 60 to 100,000 uh, clicks a day at Pat's Pulpit, which is awesome. We were up during draft weekend somewhere between 250 and 300,000 clicks a day. It was, it was nuts. 
And, you know, people were there and they were interested and they were, again, commenting and posting and reading. And it was just, it was great. And again, the, the site doesn't happen without, without the people that are reading it and interacting. And, and so that's what makes it, that's what makes it even better. And so we, you know, couldn't do it without, without you guys that are out there listening to this show as well. Um, and we had a lot of instant reaction pods, which went over really well. People seem to like them as well. So, uh, you know, we're, we're really happy with the way that things are going. And, uh, again, you know, we feel like there's a great staff over there, but it doesn't happen without, you know, without the people that are listening and reading. And so we really, you know, props go out to the people like you guys that are listening right now that, you know, that, that really make the site what it is. Yeah. And I, I mean, going off the comment section, I, I, I would be lying if I said, I haven't got, you know, an idea on a story reading comments right. on other posts, my own posts. Um, so yeah, right. it's, it's, it's great. It's a great site and, um, I'm happy to be a part of it. And it's, it's always great to see, you know, guys from our site get recognition like that, but it's even better when, you know, I got someone that's been with me since the beginning doing it. So it's unreal, man. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's great to be here. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So, so anyways, that's, that's what we got. Listen, we're going to go, we're going to get into this John Chapman interview. John is a guy who uh, works for Eatsley fantasy, but also does a bunch of draft stuff for a bunch of people. Um, he is a dynasty guy. When we talk about fantasy sports, um, we're going to be doing, uh, you know, a fantasy sports uh, kind of preview show, doing it with, you know, with Eatsley Fantasy probably, and hopefully he'll be in the mix for that as well. But, uh, you know, he, he wrote a draft book, and we'll talk about that a little bit here. Um, but super, super knowledgeable draft guy. And we were, we were lucky to have him on. Spags, I know you had something come up during the interview, so he kind of dips out about halfway through. Um, but uh, Final we did make season, it through. Finals final season hey man Spags, hey i'm Spags done tomorrow a, i'm done tomorrow i'm done tomorrow. it's unbelievable man Graduate i am so jealous and i'm done <laughs> oh, don't I'm be so jealous, jealous. I'm, I'm all done i, I had my four years that's it <laughs> i know to the real world you go but uh oh, you yeah. know hey that's the way it goes right joining the oh, yeah. the working schmucks just like the rest of us oh yeah so but that's the way it goes. So, anyways, listen, we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna end on the uh, on the Chapman interview. We appreciate you guys again. Thanks for listening. Listen, also, you know, just one quick favor, if if, if we could ask you on iTunes, the the reviews and the responses on iTunes, you know, the 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 ratings and the reviews on iTunes are not great for some reason, and I'm not really sure why, um, but they're not great. So, if you could help us out, you know, get on iTunes. And, you know, give us a, give us a, you know, a review, give us a five-star rating. If you feel like that's a five-star show, you know, give us a, a rating and a review to kind of, you know, get rid of some of those crappy ones. They're from a year and a half ago. So they're not even new they're ones. If you get on there and do fans, that, we really appreciate Cowboy it. fans and all them. That's all it is. Right. Right. Yeah. So if you could, uh, you know, if you guys could get on there and it's not too much trouble, we'd love that. That'd be, uh, that'd be pretty cool. So anyways, here is, uh, here is John Chapman and, uh, and we'll talk to you guys next week. All right, we're going to welcome onto the show from Eat Sleep Fantasy. He also hosts a, uh, a 49ers podcast as well, which maybe most of you won't be listening to, but you never know with Jimmy G over there. Uh, it's John Chapman. John, welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, man, glad to be back. I think uh, this time last year we talked for a while, and uh, it's always fun to talk after the draft because everybody's kind of together. Uh, here in about a month, we're going to hate each other again, but for right now, it's like truce time, I feel like. It absolutely point. is. Yeah. No, really, it's, you know, because everyone's, like, breaking things down, and it's, hey, we don't care who you root for, let's dra- break down the draft, and it's, uh, it kind of brings everyone together, and then you're right, like, once the once the new year starts again, everyone's fighting again, you know? I like that. 
So uh, so let's let's get right into it. You well before we even start, you wrote a a draft book which um, which I want to just take a second to plug because I thought you did an awesome job with it. I'm assuming you're going to continue to do it, um, you know, even after this year. But it was just talk about that for a second. I thought it was I thought it was really really well done uh, and provided a ton of insight. Uh, on a lot of different players, and I thought it was it was really kind of cool. So I know you spent a ton of time on it. So I just want you to plug it just really quick and talk about what it is and where people can find it. You know, for for next year, or even if they're interested in seeing what you had to say about guys they drafted this year. Yeah, this is the seventh year I've put together my draft profiles and book and whatnot. And you know, I'm a former high school football coach from Texas, and you know, I used to have a bed in my office and spend the night up there. I was that guy. And then some family lifestyle changes took place, and I decided, you know, I had to move away from that. And so I still teach, but I don't coach anymore. But I, I get to work from home and spend time with my kids now, but I still watch film religiously. I don't, I'm, I'm addicted. I'm not too big into a lot of other sports. I know the playoffs right now are going on with hockey and stuff. I'm supporting your Bruins just uh, through brothership right now. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, I just break down. Yeah, I appreciate so that. I, I appreciate that, Joe. Hey, if the stars aren't in it, then I'm like, all right, that's cool. But uh, well, they're in it. Anyway. So. <laughs> well, they're not playing you guys, so I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. <laughs> well, once we get there, which I don't think we will this year, but whatever. So anyway, I broke down uh, 100-plus players. I think there was well over 80 pages of information and all kinds of different graphs and scouting notes. And I'm a 49ers guy. So I have digested everything Bill Walsh has ever written or put out his scouting notes, and I kind of created a Bill Walsh scouting rubric for every position. So there's about 10 different criteria that I look for based off of his notes, and I rate every player on that. So um, you can find that over at East League Fantasy if you're interested. Um, you know, if you want to look up how your players did, especially the Patriots, almost all of your guys are in there, uh, just head over to EatSleepFantasy.com, click on John Chapman Draft Book, fill that out. And if you use the promo code RUSH, R-U-S-H, all capital letters, and tap off, it's only 5 bucks. Uh, definitely worth it. And if you want me to talk about somebody that's not mentioned in there, just email me or actually Twitter's probably the best place at JL underscore Chapman. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy to help you out. Yeah, no, it's cool. And like I said, I just thought it was, um, I really thought you did a really nice job with it. And so uh, I just wanted to, you know, kind of take a second on there and I, I looked at it and spent some time on it and thought it was really uh, fascinating. So, um, so yeah, Thanks, just wanted man, to give, much you the, give you the shout out you deserved, you know? So let, let's get into the Patriots and, and, you know, first of all, do you, do you like what the Patriots did? And as far as fit is concerned, we can go through and talk about each individual player. So I guess we can do that and start with Harry. But before you get into that, um, you know, what did you think of the Patriots draft overall? Well, it, it's interesting. I mean, you go into this draft with 12 picks and obviously the Patriots are almost always picking towards the back half. And there was some glaring needs on the roster, namely tight end, which was never addressed, probably the biggest need on the team. And they didn't address it, which was very, very interesting. And it seemed like teams were very, very worried that the Patriots were going to trade up and get, you know, one of the Iowa tight ends, and they just didn't have a chance. They both went in the top 20. And so then what do you do after that? They just kind of punted at the position, which I'm curious to see how that's going to play out. But it's a very typical Belichick draft. You know, you get two corners, you get some D-line, you get O-line, and then you sprinkle a couple pieces in there. Belichick's drafted more corners in the first two rounds than any other team in the NFL since he's, you know, become GM, and it's not close. He's got like a 15 
cornerback lead over the next team during his tenure. And he continues that. You know, Joe Jawan Williams, cornerback out of Vanderbilt, who they got in the second round, and you traded up to get him. It was interesting to me because yeah, I had him rated a little bit later, but in my notes I even say if he goes to a good DB coach, this guy's going to be elite. Uh, being six foot three, that's a special type of corner, especially somebody that comes out of Vanderbilt, really smart kid, and he what he does better than anybody else is pass deflection. You know, he's got 25 pass defense and four interceptions, but he's just slow. So it's going to take some time to get him in that position to where he doesn't have to start for you guys. And I don't think that he will start year one, actually, which is crazy to say for a second round corner. Usually those guys are starting, but he's going to he's going to be a guy that's going to kind of season in there. And I think that he could be out there during, you know, nickel and dime packages some if there's a big wide receiver, especially like a big slot guy. I could see him putting on there, but that's going to be one of those swings for the fences picks that you might have to wait a year before you're like, oh, man, I see what they're doing here. But the ceiling is there with that guy. Well, you know, it's funny you bring up Williams because he's one of those guys where I look at him as a an interesting study. And like you said, you know, they're, they have a specific fit for him. And I think that that's the biggest part about that pick. The Patriots aren't going to just try to slot him in somewhere. You know, they're saying, okay, we understand that this guy is a matchup guy. He's not going to be out starting a corner. He's not even going to play slot corner because he can't do that yet. Maybe he maybe he'll get there at some point, but he can't do that yet. So if you have a tight end that you need to try to, to lock down, let's put him on him. Or if you have a big wide receiver who maybe isn't super fast, maybe you put him on him and try to stop that guy. And so – you know, I think that they, especially where the league is going to these taller wideouts, they said, you know, let's take let's take one of these guys and, and see what happens, you know, and really see if we can, uh, you know, develop him into a, a great corner eventually. But for right now, he can be that matchup guy that they haven't pat Chung, and Chung is a, is is a smaller guy, so it's interesting that he can match up against those guys. But you know, it's it's another guy that can match up against those big, tall, fast tight ends and those big, tall, and maybe a little bit slower wide receivers. And so he'll be a matchup nightmare. But again, he's specifically matchups. Um, And so that's, you know, that's where I think it's interesting. Um, But like I, like you said, he's with a, he's with a good, uh, a good coach. So, you know, they can do that. The interesting thing about tight ends. Another thing that. Well, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say like the fact that Belichick traded up, 11 spots in the second round to get this kid when there were a lot of corners on the board, let you know exactly how much they value him. It's not like they settled on him. Uh, They jumped up to go get this guy. So there's something there. And it's weird because, you know, what? I was great in his film. He's got 19 missed tackles last year, which is a lot for a corner. And Belichick loves physical guys. Uh, You know, Jawan Williams is very physical. His, his technique is awful. And so, like, I feel like this was a Belichick, like, hey, I'm going to take this kid and who doesn't really fit what I want because he's always trying to prove to everybody he's smarter and usually does. And he's going to turn this guy into something special. I really do. I'm very curious to see this kid's career, and I love that he doesn't have to start right away for you guys. I agree. It's interesting, too, because you saw them go so high on Duke Dawson last year, and obviously he kind of had a red shirt year this year. But I believe, you know, we talk about it all the time, Dawson was their guy going into day two last year that they wanted. And they go around and they – I believe Dawson went in the 40s too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it's interesting that they took – where do you go? 56? 
656, yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, Joan was. They traded up for him, too, though, though, didn't they? Yeah, that's what they traded up for. Yeah, I believe they did. But yeah. that, that's what that's what makes it so intriguing to me. So they, I mean, you know, you look at their cornerback. They they got they got a really good tandem. You know, they got uh, Gilmore and and Dawson and J C Jackson and now, you know, um, uh, Jonathan Jones is still there. So I mean, they, they, it's going to be a tough camp for cornerbacks. Yeah, for sure, for sure. The interesting thing I wanted to hit on this tight end point and Spags. I don't know uh, what you think about this, but I think honestly they look at it and just say Gronk is Gronk, and they're never going to replace Gronk. Yep, and so why are we going to draft a tight end that's not going to that that's not going to replace Gronk? That's silly. Let's take a flyer on on Severian Jenkins and see if the other guys can pan out. And honestly, we could do what we did last year when Gronk was was hurt, which is basically use him as blockers and put him out every now and again. And and I think that you have some of those guys. You know, you got Matt Matt Lacoste. He's going to be out there. Ryan Izzo was on IR last year. I think he's going to come in. He's kind of a bigger dude. And Steven Anderson can do a little bit more of the receiving options. I think it's going to be very similar um, to how they have always done their backfield, where they have four guys, and I can see all these guys being active because they're going to be so heavily involved in special teams as well. And they're just going to match up them, where they put, you know, two big blockers out there for, you know, these guys might get two snaps on offense a quarter, but they're going to have a few plays where, all right, when we're third and one on the left hash, these guys are going in, and this is what we're going to do. So it's going to be fun to watch. You know, they've always been able to create these matchup nightmares. Now, the curious thing about this, and maybe the first-round pick tells us this answer, what do you do when there's no receiving threat? Uh, these targets got to go somewhere. <laughs> they all can't go to James yeah. White, even though <laughs> it right. seems like that's the answer for most things. How well, do you feel about Well, they might Harry? test you on that one. <laughs> Did you guys like the first round pick? I'll tell you what. I loved it. I loved it because it was so outside the box from what Belichick normally does. Um, we don't typically get that big splash um, on day one. And the fact that we did is so cool. And the other part of it for me, he was a second receiver off the board. And I, I'm sorry, but there's a, there is almost a 0% chance that Brown was there, was on their board. Um, as far as, you know, he just, he's too small. And I don't think, I don't think that he's the type of guy they wanted. So this guy to me was their number one wide receiver. He was high up on the board. I think everybody in that building loves this kid. Um, and you know, to have a guy like that and look, you know, what's Harry best at? He's best at winning those contested catches. And that's what Gronk was so good at, was winning those contested catches. Now, clearly, he's not Gronk. I mean, that's just foolish to think that he's going to be as good as Gronk as far as going up and catching balls. But that's something that they haven't had in a long time from a receiver. And they have it, you know, I mean, depending on whether Gordon comes back or not, maybe they have a little bit in Gordon. But they haven't had that guy since Randy Moss that could go yeah. up and get the ball. And if they can get that in this kid, and again, he's not super fast. Right, he ran a decent. He ran a little bit better uh, on his pro day than he did at the combine, I believe. But you know, he overall, I think he's a solid player. And those contested catches, I think, are so big. Um, and I think that that's one of those things where they look at it and say, "Hey, you know, Brady's got to have confidence in those guys, and to have confidence that he can throw it to this kid and he's going to try to make a play on it." 
you know, we looked at so many guys, like we brought in Aaron Dobson a few years back, and we were like, oh, this kid, you know, he made a sensational catch in the back of the end zone for Marshall. I don't know if you remember that catch, but it was insane. Everyone was like, oh, my God, this kid's – and he just – the ball would go up, and he would – and he'd, he'd jump away from the ball, and the balls would get picked off or batted down. or You know, and this kid jumps towards the ball and fights through traffic to get it, and I think that that's what they loved about him. And I think he'll be a perfect fit um, in this roster. I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he's making a serious impact day one um, this year. And I'll, I'll say this too: you know, you hit on a couple things that I really agree with. And there's some of the film at Arizona State now. It's a weird as hell offense they ran, and about half of his routes were just hitch routes or wide receiver screens, which that alarms me. Well, yeah. What is the, the, my biggest question mark here? And I'm not trying to bag on the pick at all because I like Nikhil Harry and I like the fit there. You guys run a very complex system outside, and he's coming from the most elementary wide receiver tree in all of college football to the most complex wide receiver tree uh, with the Patriots and Josh McDaniels. You know, there's been you know Chad Ochocinco, lots of people coming out and saying it's hard to get that playbook. So that's going to be one thing that's curious, and obviously because he's a first-round pick, they're going to find ways to use him. But during several of the games there at Arizona State, they used him a lot um, on jet sweeps and things like that. And it's funny, the very first film I put in, I was like, man, he reminds me of Corderell Patterson, just a wide receiver, but with that same type of mobility. Uh, because once he gets the ball in his hands, he, he's a strider. His 40 times not great, you know, 4-5-3, that's all right. But – People just take terrible pursuit angles because he's so long and he covers so much ground. And so I, I would not be surprised at all now that Patterson's gone um, that he is going to get some of those handoffs as well just to get him started, you know, early on, get his nerves calmed down and whatnot. Uh, but, no, I love the kid. His adjustment to the ball is second to none when it's in the air. I mean, he's just the guy that goes up and gets it. So I'm a big fan of that pick. And also interesting, real quick, you know, Arizona kind of telegraphed that Nikhil Harry tweeted out the night before. Arizona assured me if I'm there at pick 33, it's a lock. You know, he's right. from Arizona State, and, you know, that's where he went to college, not where he's from. And sure enough, Belichick does what he does, just not so fast, man. <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't tip your pick because I'll take it from you. That's what he right. does. So, so, John, I had, a, I had an interesting question for you here. Um, you know, I, I find it – I really, really like Damian Harris and his game. Um you know, I, I saw, I, I listened to a couple guys say, you know, a lot of a lot of these elite backs in the game um, went to Bama and transferred, actually, because they couldn't start over him. You know, Josh Jacobs was a backup, didn't get the, as much carries because of Damian Harris. Alvin Kamara uh, transferred out. Bo Scarborough never got going again once he came back from that from that leg injury. Um, you know, I, I really, really like his game. I think he's a downhill runner, and I like the pick, but I'm curious to see why they drafted him with Sonny Michelle there last year. I don't think that he is a Sony Michelle uh, replacement by any stretch. I think he's a Rex Burkhead replacement because he can't stay healthy. There's two things that Belichick hates more than anything. One is fumbles. Okay, Belichick or uh, Burkhead doesn't do that. Number two is durability. I mean, he mm-hmm. can't stay healthy. Damian Harris is Rex Burkhead. Guaranteed four yards positive play every single play. Catches out of the backfield with zero issues. Um, you know, if you look at his stats. He put up over 52 receptions, and the mileage is just not there. He's never been injured. You know, he's played 15, 14, 15 games his last three years and averaged 6.4 yards per carry and has never lost a fumble 
in 477 carries at uh, Alabama. And so this is just one of those picks where it's just like, man, can you like Madden create a character that Bill Belichick wants as his third running back? It's Damian Harris, because if uh, James White goes down, he's going to be the third down option. If Sonny Michelle goes down, he's going to be the first and second down banger. Um, He's the guy that just plugs that hole and allows them to not carry as many running backs. So I'm curious to see what's going to happen with Rex Burkhead, but um, if for some reason something happens, I could see them only taking three running backs with their active roster instead of four. Um, but no, it's, it's a Patriots pick. It really, really is. And he's mm. going to be all over on special teams. He's tough as hell. Um, he, he'll be he'll be out there for all that stuff. So yeah, I love the pick too. I, I'm with I'm with the two of you guys. And I thought it was I thought it was interesting. I was like a running back. What, what are we doing taking a running back? But uh, <laughs> you know, then the more you kind of dive into it and get into it. It really makes a lot of sense. And uh, so I, I do like it a lot. And look, they were a power running team at the end of the year last year. And so if they're going to run the ball significantly more, they're going to need to give Michelle a, a break because Michelle was never the workhorse back in Georgia. And, you know, he's getting 20, you know, 20, 25 carries a game with the Patriots. He's going to wear down after a certain point. He already doesn't have great knees. And so, uh, you know, I think it was, I think it was really the perfect pick for them. In that spot, I do want to transition over to another third round pick. I think it might be overall, if you polled Patriots fans, probably their favorite pick of the draft, and that's Chase Winovich. Um, the kid just looks like an absolute baller, and you know we got him at seventy seven. He's he's a Patriots type of guy, full effort, but he's also a great pass rusher, really good against the run, and he's the only player. According to Pro Football Focus, now this is just Pro Football Focus grades, but it's the he's the only player in the Big Six conferences to get a ninety plus average. Uh, I'm sorry, a ninety plus grade the last two seasons, um, and so you know it tells you a little bit about what he did. He was the best performer on the Michigan defense with two first round picks, uh, and both of them I think top twelve first round picks. And he performed. Yeah. He outperformed both of those players, and so you get him at seventy-seven. I absolutely love the pick. I see a little Ninkovich in him, to be honest with you. I mean, you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I see a little Nink. No, it's there. It rhymes too, so why not, man? I, why not say <laughs> yeah, it right? Ninkovich, Winovich, yeah, same thing. <laughs> there you go, man. We freaking that sounds like a fun uh, a rap band startup. <laughs> but yeah, I think you're exactly right. And you know, whenever you watch film, you know, I don't believe in highlights. For, uh, if you want to really know a player, just watch game film, type in Chase Winovich first, and you just go through the game film on YouTube. A lot of it's up there. Uh, coaching film is pretty hard to get, but that's another story. Um, but anyway, it doesn't matter. If you're watching Devin Bush film, man, you're, the whole time you're like, who the hell's this other guy? And if you're watching Rashad Gary film, you're like, who the hell's Rashad Gary? And I can't find him anywhere because uh, he doesn't yeah. do anything. And, and Chase Winovich the whole time is just always around the ball. Whether it's a screen, whether it's a pass downfield, whether it's a run, he's there. It doesn't matter if it's in the backfield or 20 yards downfield. He is everywhere. Um, you know, Chase Winovich was my number 33 overall player, and I I labeled him not as an insult, a poor man's Chris Long. And so he's yeah. going to fit into that role day one. And it's so funny. Most of the NFL wants that long, lean quick edge rusher and the Patriots just say to damn with that. I don't want that. I want a football player who happens to be an edge rusher and yep. Chase Winovich is that guy. He's a better football player than he is an edge guy. 
but because of how good he is against the run. And that's what they're, you know, that's what they are. They want all four defensive linemen to be able to get, you know, pass rush against the quarterback. And Winovich, this was a steal in the third. Pick 77 is just unbelievable. Um, that's what the Patriots do, man. You have so many picks, you can just sit back and wait. And that's right. what they did here. Well, it's true. And, and a guy that I know you had high on your board, um, a lot higher than than others, actually went 75th, uh, and that was Jay Sternberger. And I was at 70 you – know, they trade out of 73, and at 77 I'm sitting there saying, please, God, like just – make the like draft you know Sternberger that's all I wanted at 77 I actually mocked him we did a we did a mock draft on here with Mark Schofield and I mocked him at 32 to the Patriots and I know you had done that a few times as well um obviously was not to be went 75th to the Packers um and I thought that was you know a a great landing spot for him he was just one of my favorite guys and so just he was close to 77 I know you loved him so I figured I'd bring him up even though we're talking about Patriots right now I don't even really care because he's my guy so so, yeah, so I just I, wanted I think, to kind of you know, bring him I up, you know. 10, I did 10 mock drafts, you know, before the draft, and seven out of the 10 I had Jace going to the Patriots. So yeah. I'm with you, man. Yeah. It's sad face. I get the sad face on right now. But uh, <laughs> but the last third-round pick, and, and I just really want to focus on on this guy and, and really just one more guy, to be honest with you. But uh, Yodney Kajust. I thought is an interesting prospect as a swing tackle. I don't, he's not ready to start yet, but he's, he's a pretty darn good pass blocker. um, I think right now, and as a swing tackle for the Patriots, uh, I think, you know, can be a a pretty, pretty productive player for them, you know, kind of coming off the bench and, and, and backing up both of those tackle spots. What do you think about that pick? Yeah, I mean, th- this is exactly where he was slotted, you know, in, in my draft book and a lot of things. He's not one of the elite tackles. He's not a plug-and-play starter. But his ceiling is there. He's just very, very raw. And when you play for Dana Holgerson in West Virginia, it's, it's not a very pro-like system. It's much more of an air raid, snap-and-throw type of a thing. And Kajust is exactly what the Patriots always do. Um, they don't care about the metrics. They don't care about the speed or how pretty or any of that stuff. He's a guy that gave up zero sacks last year. They just want offensive linemen that will keep Tom Brady healthy. That's and so however you're going to do that, we like that. Um, you know, and that and that's who this guy is. He can run block and he can be mean. And so like I I wouldn't even be surprised if he is in competition for a guard spot. But I think the swing tackle is what he should be. Um, it's going to be interesting between him and your fourth round picks. You know, y'all see Froholt out of uh, Denmark because their size is almost identical. They're both 6'5, 306 is Froholt, and 312 is Kajus. So, like, one of those guys, like, I would not be surprised if, you know, it would be that kind of guard tackle swing play. Um, so, it's going to be curious. I, I really want to pay attention to what happens in rookie minicamp where they line them both up at. And then once training camp starts, exactly what that looks like, too. It's going to be interesting. John, quick yeah. question for you here, because I'm a big QB guy, and I wrote a, an article about him on the pulpit. Um, but I, I'm I'm interested to see what you what you think about Jarrett Sidham, because a lot of people said, you know, when he was at Baylor, you know, had that more of a pro-style offense, you know, 
gunslinger type of thing. He 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 really shined. Obviously, Auburn ran kind of a weird uh, offense. He was kind of a game manager for them, and they didn't have great pass protection and, and receivers. But uh, I, I, I thought the ball came out pretty in his hands. I was interested to see what you what you thought about him. Man, I was coaching in Dallas area when he was still at Stevensville. So, you know, I, I got to see him play live. We never coached against him. We were in the largest conference. Uh, we were 6A, 5A at the time. He was 4A. But the kid could throw the ball, man. And, and, you know, you see him as a sophomore and a junior in Texas high school, and you're just like, yeah, some kids have it, some kids don't. He had it. And it, his stigma on the sidelines was, you know, a little Jay Cutler-esque, <laughs> I guess you could say, from a very early age. The kid's got it. He, he's he got a cannon. All the stuff that happened at Baylor, um, he was there during the whole Art Bryles, you know, whatever, and he was going to be the next guy. You know, it was that RG3, and then, you know, he had a couple other guys. He was the guy. He was the number one quarterback that was a dual-threat quarterback in the entire country whenever he came out of high school. Like, he was top-notch. The Art Browse thing happened. He transfers out to Art Browse's buddy, you know, Gus Malzahn and all that stuff in Auburn, and he struggled. Um, he put up decent numbers with some decent talent, but it, it never really came to fruition. Um, you know, if you look at his completion percentage, 64%, that's fine. Uh, 77 touchdowns to 25 interceptions, that's fine. It, there's nothing there that ever made you think, like, boom, there it is. It was always mm. like, man, is he going to hit it? Uh, he's not going to hit it. Is he going to hit it? No, he's not going to hit it. And uh, they don't really let the ball loose there either. It's a lot of dink and dunk, like you said. He only had nine completions that traveled over 30 yards in the air, uh, which was uh, second to last in this class, only ahead of Daniel Jones. So take that for what you, <laughs> what you want. Um, but, yeah, you know, kind of my comparison is Jimmy Clausen with the quicker release is what I came up with. He's a project. He still has not gotten close to his potential, but there's sometimes when you see it and you're just like, whoa, why can't we do that? It's just very inconsistent. And so I'm right. very glad that he fell in a place where he doesn't have to start. Can he beat out Brian Hoyer? Mm, I don't know. Um, I really don't know. Do you want to carry three quarterbacks? I think you have to if with your fourth round pick, because if, if you wave this guy, he's going to be claimed. So you're either going to cut Hoyer to free up a spot somewhere else, or you're going to carry three. Um, hopefully, Stidham beats them out so you can carry that position somewhere else, but uh, probably cornerback would be what uh, Belichick would go with. But, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I, I hope he can beat out Hoyer, but, I mean, if, if Brady goes down, you'd prefer Hoyer right now, I'm going to be honest with you. Oh, for sure, yeah. Well, they also have Etling when they drafted last year. Now, who knows how they feel about him. Um you know, but I he was in the practice squad all year. How they so. feel about him. Yeah, that's true. You can yeah. keep him there again, but still, I don't, I don't. Right. No, it's a good point. That's a very good point. And I think too, the biggest thing. I mean, the biggest thing for me, really, if if you look at it, and and I think they're doing exactly what a lot of people said for them to do, which is don't jump at anyone early unless you love somebody. Um, but you know, if if that guy becomes available. You know, if you like a guy later, take him, take a shot at him. Why the heck not? You know, you get, you got a guy like, um, you know, like Etling last year who they thought that he was, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the draft or at least well-rounded quarterbacks in the draft. And again, he's not, he wasn't a great player. They didn't love, they didn't love the player. Obviously they drafted him in the seventh round, but they thought that the skills were there. And I think the same thing is true about 
that sit him where they look at it and say, okay, skills are there. He was a highly touted prospect, came in, didn't really do much, but that Auburn team was a mess. And so you really can't, you know, obviously you can judge him on what, what he did there, but you really can't get an accurate representation of what he is because of where he was. And so, you know, you don't really know for sure. Uh, and so I thought, you know, what the heck, take a shot at it. If he doesn't pan out, you keep trying it, you know, next year and you, and you keep going and, and see what happens, you know? And so, um, I think they're they're doing the right thing and and kind of looking at guys that they like. So one other yeah. guy next the their next pick, very similar guy, obviously D tackle, but was the number three overall prospect coming out of high school, the number one defensive tackle prospect, uh, Byron Cowart, and he was at um where, where the heck was he? He was at was he at Auburn? He no, was he was Auburn, Auburn first. He was at Auburn. Yeah, he was at Auburn. Was Auburn. And then, and then he, he transferred, transferred to out to community college, and then he went yeah. to Maryland. And this kid, it's weird, man. And again, because you know, I'm a Longhorn, you know, I'm from Texas, and so I follow the recruiting trail pretty well. You know, like you said, he was number three. ESPN had him number one overall. And so you have this guy that's just an absolute freak. And a lot of times the recruiting trail mimics what happens in high school. This is right after. Um, Oh goodness, his name's sleeping. My Aaron Donald goes insane for the first year, and so mm-hmm. everybody's like, "Oh, who's the next Aaron Donald?" Oh, it's Brian Cohort. He it's almost identical as far as body build and explosion, and all these things. Well, things go bad, and I, I follow this one pretty close because I, I thought it was interesting. You know, Muschamp was there in Auburn, and that's who recruited him—a defensive coach. Well, Muschamp leaves. Uh, but uh, obviously the NCAA is not going to let the kids leave because that would just be totally unfair. Um, <laughs> so he was pissed off from the start because they switched their defensive alignment and it was just, it was a bad fit. It didn't go well. Then his mom got sick. I remember all this stuff going on and he eventually just said, screw it. I'm out. Now he lands in Maryland, which has a very similar coaching staff to what Muschamp has done um, at South Carolina. And the kid just balled out. Um, you know, one year of production, which is rough to say now, his film's not consistent, but if you're a guy that wants turnovers, he's a defensive tackle that had two interceptions. Like, how do you do that at the DT spot? Yeah, Yeah. he got sacked, he's got fumble recoveries, passes batted down. He's just a disruptor. Now, the problem is, is consistency. So with a fifth round pick, what are you going to do? I think this is going to be a positional pass rusher somebody that you can put in in certain situations to try to take advantage of maybe softer guard play. If you have like a very good pass setting guard, that's a little bit soft and not very physical. I'd line Byron cohort up in front of them and just say, Hey, bully this kid. And let's see if we can get something. Right. Right. Well, and that's, I think, you know, they have, they have a little bit um, of that in, uh, in Adam Butler, but they've been searching for that for a while. That, well, I know, you know, I know Adam in, Butler, man. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, he, well, that's uh, a thing. I, I that, coached him in high school, actually. Yeah. Did you really? <laughs> he's a good kid, man. Yeah, he's a great kid. Great kid. Great wow, family. That's great cool. kid. Yeah, um, that's really cool. That's really cool. So uh, you know, and he's he's provided them with with quite a bit, um, and so you know, but again, they bring in another guy that can rush from the middle, and I think that you know, you look at if you look at the the way that the defenses are constructed, right, you get pass rush from the edge. Great. Well, then quarterbacks can step up. Well, then you need to, then you need to press the pocket from the middle. And if you can do that consistently, 
uh, you know, on passing downs, then you really have something going. And I think that that's something they've been looking for for a while. So take a shot at this kid, you know, and, and, and see what happens. And, you know, maybe his history isn't the best, but um, but you kind of go from there. So uh, overall, I thought they, you know, I thought they had a great draft overall. I was surprised about the punter, um, but, you know, it is what it is. And I, I thought it was very telling for them. They traded up twice in the fifth round gave up two seventh round picks. Um, and I, I just thought, you know, it, it was telling for what they were doing. Um, they just thought that there wasn't enough draftable guys, in, in my opinion. You know, they didn't love the depth or the late round depth there. And they said, you know, we got all these picks. We're not going to be able to make them. So let's just get the two guys that we're interested in in the fifth, trade out of those two seventh round picks, and we'll draft the one guy we, you know, we, we, we at the end of the, at the end that we kind of like, oh, fine draft him at the end and, you know, and kind of go from there. And so I think that that's really, that was their mindset at that point. Uh, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get the punter, but I, I think, well, okay. That's not true. The only, here's the one thing I'll say about the punter. Thing. <laughs> I, I just, I, in my opinion, they like this kid. This is their number one punter on their board. Right. And they say, okay, fine. He's the number one punter on our board. We'll draft him because if we draft him and cut him at the end of camp, he's probably going to end up on the practice squad because by the end of camp, the majority of the teams in the NFL have their punting situation done. If not everyone, you would assume. So chances right. are, if you're cutting a punter, he's not getting picked up off waivers by someone because no one's going to carry two punters. And so now you have control over him on your practice squad. And I think that that makes, that makes a big difference. Um, you know, Patriots wise, then you, you have control over that player instead of letting him get drafted by another team. And then you don't have control over him. Maybe they keep him as their punter or maybe they cut him and you don't want to pick him up off waivers because then you just want to cut him again. So, you know, I think that that was, it's more of a situation where if he can beat our Ryan Allen in the preseason, I guess fine, but we don't expect him to, but you know, let's, we have him on the roster. We can put him on the practice squad and he'll probably be able to get through waivers. I don't. I, well, this guy's going to make it. I mean, Bailey's a beast. Uh, I mean, so it's funny because we're the only two teams in the NFL, the 49ers and the Patriots, that took a damn punter. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was downtown, you know, right in front of the stage filming whenever we made the pick, and I just started, like, dropping F-bombs, you know, because we took our punter in the fourth round, which yeah, is did, almost yeah. unheard of. And yeah. I was just like, what the hell, man? Um, and then later on, you guys trade up. Uh, you know, yep. in the fifth, you gave up the number one sixty-seven and the number two forty-six picks to get them. So right. know, there were two draftable punters, and I get it. You know, if you look at last year, you had Michael Dixon out of Texas who went to the Seahawks in the fifth round, and he was an All-Pro punter his first year. So if Jake Bailey can do something like that, uh, then I think you got to be happy, especially whenever you have as many picks as you guys have. We didn't have that many picks, so it right. pissed me off much more. But yeah. <laughs> We'll see, man. You dig when everybody else zags, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's a bad check always does, right, is is, uh, is zig when everyone else zags. So, listen, you are – there are a few teams I want to talk about uh, as far as, you know, draft picks that – drafts that I really liked a lot. You're a Niners guy, so I don't want to break down the whole Niners draft, but I am curious about, you know, what you thought about the, about the draft. You know, I thought for them uh, being able to get Bosa and then Debo Samuel – First and second round, I thought was huge for them. Um, yeah, you know, and, and home uh, run and, right you know, off. Just the talk bat. about it for a second. 
Yeah, mm. Bosa, absolutely right off the bat. You know, we broke the record since they started keeping stats all the way back from the merger for fewest turnovers forced in the history of the NFL. Wow. So, you know, you get D Ford who forced, you know, nine turnovers and had 16 sacks. You bring in Bosa and you get Quan Alexander. So you get these three guys that can roam around. That's a huge need. We get two wide receivers in Debo Samuel out of South Carolina and Jalen Hurd, who is just a big old freak, you know, 6'5", 220, um, kind of a big slot guy. He's going to play that juju role. So it, it's going to be a lot more fun. Jimmy G is going to get a lot more support and the defense isn't going to be awful. So uh, I liked the early part. It got awful after that. So I'll leave it there. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, so as far as uh, best, you know, best overall draft, you know, what team do you think, uh, you know, outside the Patriots, if the Patriots are your number one, um, I know there's some people's number one. I don't know if they're yours or not, but um, outside of the Patriots, what do you think, what, what team do you think had, you know, the best draft or helped themselves the most? Man, I'm going to stay in division, and I hate saying this. I really, really do, but I'm going to go Arizona Cardinals. Um, You know, I I think as far as – the thing that pisses me off most about the draft is when teams just throw darts. Figure out what it is you're trying to do, and I think this is one of the things that Bill Belichick is constantly trying to teach the NFL. Who are you, and what is it that you are going to do, and are these people going to help you? You know, there there are several draft people out there that, you know, they do like 400-person big boards and all that stuff. Well, if you talk to the Colts, they had 180 players on their board. Uh, 49ers had just over 190. Like, there's just because a guy is good at football doesn't mean it fits what you need. And so the Cardinals go and they draft Kiff, Cliff, Kingsbury, and so then they have to figure out what it is you're going to fit. Well, they're going to be doing that air raid system and just quick everything and everything fit exactly what they wanted. Now, Arizona Cardinals have a terrible offensive line. Well, guess what? In the air raid offense, it's a pass at every play. So they didn't go out and get a bunch of run blocking, whatever. They just got some big guys that can take up space and can keep their quarterback uh, you know, upright. They draft three speedy wide receivers, and they're just going to start doing the track meet thing. Now, it might not work out well, and I think it's going to go bad. You know, I'm a big Josh Rosen guy. I really have been, but if you put him behind a bad offensive line, he has zero chance. Kyler Murray, however, he's going to be able to move. So I think that what they did was smart after they made the Kingsbury hire. I wouldn't have hired Kingsbury, but at least they are following suit with what – they're at least letting this guy have an attempt to be successful, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I don't know if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, but uh, yeah, I'll so, tell you what. So I like Arizona. Yeah, that was my team. That was the team that I was going to go with. So you stole my, you stole my thing. Thanks a lot. But uh, no, it, but I thought that I thought that really they did a nice job. Um, I don't. I personally hate the Josh Rosen trade. I think they got peanuts for him. Um, you know, you talk about the Patriots. You know, everyone here was up in arms about um, you know not getting enough for Jimmy G. And if you look at the draft value, you know, the Jimmy Johnson draft value chart, which whether you believe in that or not, you know, is, I guess, is relevant. But, you know, the the Cardinals can get a max of 320. Um, Jimmy G got 470. So, you know, in that situation, you say, oh, my goodness, like, that's not that's nothing, you know. And so um, so that really I look at that and say they got nothing back for him. But beyond that, like you said. You draft a quarterback you love. You draft a bunch of wide receivers. Like, 
and you have a plan in place. And so I think that that um, I think that that was really solid, a really solid draft by them. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with the Broncos. Uh, I'm going to go to the oh, other West, stay in the West, before the AFC. Yeah, and so that's you know I, I thought they trade down from ten to twenty, and they pick up what the heck did they pick up in that deal? They picked up, um, oh, they picked up the second round pick, right? Yeah, I got it somewhere around here. Goodness, didn't they pick up the second round pick? Right, didn't they? Um, yeah, they fell back. They picked up a second this year, and then yep. a twenty twenty third the Steelers third round. That's what it was. Okay, I couldn't remember what the heck it was. So. Then they draft Dalton Risner. So they draft – so they trade back to 20 and draft Noah Fant, which I thought was a great pick by them. Uh, I loved Fant. I thought Fant was a, was a great player. And so to get him at 20 was, was I thought, pretty good. Um, then Dalton Risner goes to them at pick 41, who, you know, has question marks and whatnot, but is a good player. Um, you know, may have to kick in the guard, may, may be able to play tackle. But, again, you know, they need some help on the offensive line, so they got him. And then Drew Locke, who – People had them drafting Locke at 10. They draft Locke at 42 an entire round later. Um, you know, and so just those three guys alone, um, you know, I don't know about the right, you know, they only drafted six guys, but, you know, just those three guys alone, I think makes it a successful draft. And if Locke is that guy, then, I mean, it's an absolute slam dunk for them. Uh, and especially drafting them where they drafted them, it's a no brainer. Yeah, no, and th- this is what they do every year. Um, you know, I, I I think that John Elway is a good GM. He just sucks with quarterbacks. And so yeah. as far as draft value, he knocked it out of the park last year as well. Cortland Sutton, you know, they got Bradley Chubb, mm-hmm. and both those guys panned out. But he just sucks with quarterbacks. So why not right. just wait? Right. No, that's a good point. So, you know, so we'll see. But I, I, I just thought that that was interesting uh, from them. Head scratcher for you. Uh, look, obviously Daniel Jones was a head scratcher. We talked about it last week on the show because we recorded Thursday night after the first round. Made no sense to me. Um, but beyond the Daniel Jones pick, um, you know, was there anyone else where you were kind of like, what, what, what are we doing here? I, I hated almost all of it, to be honest with you. Um, so, like, okay, Daniel Jones, whatever, that was terrible. You trade Odell Beckham Jr., for a run-stuffing <laughs> nose tackle on Dexter Lawrence. And I like Dexter Lawrence. You know, he's been suspended for, you know, PDs in college, whatever. You do whatever you want with that. But you trade Odell Beckham Jr. for Dexter Lawrence and O'Shane Zimenez out of Old Dominion, which if you watch his film, some people had him ranked pretty high, but it's just like I cannot find a game film where I'm like, this is a guy I want on my team. Um, mm. I, I think the worst general manager – um, maybe back since Matt Millen is Yikes. this guy. He's awful, man. He's so bad. This I like DeAndre Baker. Don't get me wrong. His game film is great. But, again, you're taking another guy with worth work ethic issues, maybe not committed to the game, um, you know, had some issues, you know, with the team. And so you go all the way through their list. There's not one clean pick. Julian Love. Cornerback out of Notre Dame, heck of a football player. He's got some injury concerns. Uh, it just—I don't know, man. This, this is a bad draft. It's a bad yeah. draft. Yikes! Yikes! And yeah. I, I'll tell you what—I thought I thought the Raiders, you know, coincidentally, kind of the same same situation there. Now I think they did get 
overall, they got some good players. Oh, by the way, one of the Giants guys was shot, uh, you know, over the weekend. But other than that, you know, no big deal. I, I, I don't want to make a joke there, but <laughs> golly, man. But, yeah. yeah, it's just bad. I mean, to make a to make a bad draft even worse, you know. But, um, but you know, the Raiders, I thought, you know, first round especially, look at what they did. And drafting Farrell at four, I thought, was crazy, especially with Josh Allen still on the board. You know, you just look at that and you're like, why, what are we doing drafting a guy who, you know, more than likely maybe wouldn't have been available at 24, but you certainly could have traded down with someone and picked up some other assets and still drafted him, you know, somewhere around 15 or so. Now, you know, they'll tell you that, you know, he would have been taken in the top 10 and maybe he would have. Uh, I didn't see it myself personally, but, you know, that's the way it goes. And And then to draft a running back at the end of the first round, which, look, Patriots did it last year and it worked out really well. And, and maybe Jacobs can be that type of guy too. Uh, you know, when they draft the safety at 27, Abram. And so, you know, they got some good players. But overall, I was just like, kind of like, I don't really know. You know, they got Hunter Renfro late, which, you know, the the Patriots special over there, um, they didn't pick either either uh, short, wide rec- short white wide receiver this year. But, um, you know, it's just, it was it was a, surprising draft to me i guess from from the raiders standpoint not terrible but just with the amount of assets that they had and the early you know how high they were you just expected a little bit more from them yeah i i completely understand what you're saying and i agree with you the difference between them and you know the new york giants is I feel like all of these are solid guys, whereas all right. of the other players for the Giants had question marks. These guys right. have low ceilings, but super high floors. And I use that phrase a lot because all these guys, it, this, is a, this is a Tony Gwynn uh, draft. It's just a bunch mm-hmm. of singles. But you can get in the Hall of Fame with singles. These guys right. are not going to bust. Cleveland Farrell is my number seven overall, and I was higher on him than anybody else I saw. Um, and I was like, dang, that's a little too early when <laughs> they took him back. Right. Um, you could have fallen back, but he's a hell of a kid. Uh, his story is awesome. You know, he's got nine brothers and sisters, raised in a military school, just fun kid, great attitude. Like, I'm pretty pumped about him. Josh Jacobs, he's a running back that can do it all. Uh, perfect for like a three down back that, you know, Gruden loves. And he's just a positive kid that works really, really hard. Jonathan Abram, you got a four-four-two safety that loves to hit. He's going to play in the box. He's going to be all right. Trayvon Mullen, he was not my number one corner, but for him, he was a high ceiling player. I think when it's all said and done, he could be the number one corner in this draft class. So you got four starters. You walk out of a draft with four starters. I think you're going to be happy. They gave up a lot. You know, does it justify getting rid of Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper? Hell no. But I don't think any of these – I think all four of those top four picks are going to be starters for a while. So, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a single. You know what I mean? It, it's going to play. Well, right. And I think that that's a good point. And they also gave up very minimal for Antonio Brown. Now, who knows how Antonio Brown performed in Oakland. But, you know, um, but I think that that, you know, I think that that can certainly be uh, – can certainly be factored in when you're talking about the draft. Um, you know, so – yeah, so we'll see. And I, one other team, just quickly before we finish here, the Colts, I think, have, you know, Chris Boward has really gotten a lot of um, clout, I would say, in the NFL. 
as far as a GM is concerned. He's made a lot of Belichick-like moves. He's drafted, you know, quite a few offensive linemen early. Back-to-back years, he drafted a center in Ryan Kelly and then a guard in uh, in Quentin Nelson last year. And they're both f- fantastic. Obviously, Nelson was disgusting and all-pro and unbelievable. But, you know, Kelly's kind of that same way, and their offensive line was terrible. And in two years, they've become one of the best units in the league. And then, you know, they trade back a few times this year. They pick up a, a second-round pick for next year. And then they draft Rocky, uh, Rocky Sin in the second round, and he was, you know, a very highly rated corner. Then you draft Paris, Paris Campbell at the end of the second round. And so I do like what they're kind of doing over there. They're building a team, again, similar to the way the Patriots are building a team, I think. Um, and, you know, as much as I hate the Colts, and, and I don't hate the Colts quite as much anymore because, you know, the, the rivalry is kind of gone a little bit. We just keep beating the crap out of them. But I've been impressed with what Ballard's been doing over there. And like I said, kind of taking that Patriots-like approach with this team building. Yeah, it, if you look at rosters top to bottom with, like, the least amount of holes, or like, on their roster, I, I think there's two teams that clearly stand out, and that's the Indianapolis Colts, and that's the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, you can maybe throw in the Los Angeles Rams and a few other teams. But, like, as far as, like, their starting rosters – there's not very many weaknesses and the way that they have built their team, the Colts is all second round picks. (laughs) They had three Mm -hmm. second round picks this draft. They had three second round picks last year. They have two second round picks coming up in the next year. So (laughs) they just understand what they're doing. And if you guys have not already, there's a series that the Colts scouting department put out with the next pick. And it's a five part series. They're about eight minutes each on YouTube. And it's just their scouts going through the process. So if if you're interested in learning just kind of how they build a big board and what they do at the combine and all that stuff, it's very, it's awesome. It is a really good Hmm. job that they did. So I want to check that out. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I've, I've seen clips of it. I feel like, but I haven't watched the full thing. So I'm interested in seeing, uh, seeing what it looks like. So uh, I think that does it, man. John, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it, and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun talking uh, talking NFL draft. And man, this this time of year is just so much fun. You know, when we're talking, when we start talking about the draft, and I just you know we were talking about before we get all wrapped up in it. And uh, I know you said you were there for the fifth time, uh, fifth straight year this year, and uh, it's just it's it's such an awesome time of year. It's all it's it's Christmas, man. For us football nerds. And, uh, yeah, man, can't say thanks <laughs> enough. I got a big smile on my face. I love talking to this stuff. My dog's getting tired of me breaking down drafts to him. So this is great. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. And we'll have to, uh, you know, we're going to do Eat Sleep Fantasy again uh, for our uh, fantasy breakdown, our kind of, you know, fantasy awesome. draft. And so uh, we'll try to try to loop you in, uh, when you know, when we have those guys on. So it'll be, it should be a lot of fun. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks so much again. Absolutely. Take care, man. Hey, guys, I'm back for just a second. I just wanted to let you know um, that we will not be having a show next week. Um, We're going to just take the week off. The draft is over. um, So we're taking one week off, and then we'll be back. We have something really, really fun planned uh, for the week after that. So uh, we hope you stick around. But again, uh, we'll be taking one week off, and then we'll be back the week after that. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.